This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is Conversations with the Enemy. In this series, we discuss Op 4 warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, uh, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group, and uh, we're fortunate today to have Lieutenant Colonel uh, Brennan Fitzgerald uh, joining us. He's the Commander of 1st Battalion, 509th, uh, also known as Geronimo, also known as the dreaded Tarikans. Uh, on occasion. How you doing today? Good, sir. Okay, so uh, this is exciting to have you. Um, you know, in the light infantry community, uh, everybody knows who the 509th is. Um, and so, you know, up front, first question. So why do you guys cheat? We don't, sir. You, I actually don't need to cheat. You don't need to cheat? No, sir. Are you sure about that? I am 100% sure. Okay. About it. All right. We'll come back to that a little bit later. All right. So, uh, hey, uh, tell me where you're from and your background. Uh, so, so, originally from upstate New York, um, went to the United States Military Academy, obviously a career infantryman, did all of my company time, so both platoon leader, lieutenant time, and uh, company command time at the 82nd. Okay. Then I did field grade time at uh, the 3rd Infantry Division. And after that, did some broadening, U.S. Army Pacific, uh, and I've been a OCT twice. First was after company command. I was an OCT at the National Training Center. Um, the mighty tarantula team. Yes, sir. I was tarantula one, two. Right um, on. And then for I was- For my players, for my team. Yes, sir. All right. And then uh, I was an OCT at Live Fire Division here at JRTC, as well as being Zulu 6, the chief of plans and exercise maneuver control. Yes, sir. Yeah, the the brain the brains behind uh, JRTC. Right. The the wizard. The wizard. Yes, <laughs> All right. Awesome. And so, um, and when you were in third ID, were you light or heavy? We started out heavy and then transitioned to light. Okay. So I was in a battalion in old Second Brigade, uh, first of the thirtieth. We shut yeah. down Second Brigade. Wild we boars. transitioned. Uh, actually, battle boars. Battle boars. Two thirties wild yeah, boars. Yes, right. sir. Uh, and then we transitioned to from mech to light uh, while I was the S3. And then did S the remainder of my S3 in exo time is uh, a light infantry battalion. Okay, outstanding. And uh, and then I think they they've gone back to being heavy. They have. But 130 <laughs> reflagged to, I believe, 267. Yeah. Who that's was right. the ones that provided the mech team this last week? Team Kronos, yeah. Kronos. Right on. I got the chance to to spend some time with 130th when they were light out at the National Strength Center. Yes, sir. All right, and so you'd never been Geronimo no, before sir. you were here? No, sir. All right, where'd you serve in 82nd? Which battalions? Uh, I was in uh, 2504, and then I did about 18 months in the Lurst Detachment, back when we still had the Lurst Detachment. Uh, and then I commanded in 373, uh, the Charlie Troop, and commanded uh, HHC 1st Brigade in 82nd. Right on. Okay, and you were there same time General Gardner was there, right? I was. He was. I was the HAC Brigade Commander when he was the uh, Brigade XO. <laughs> yes, sir. Brigade XO. Right on. 
Awesome. Okay. Um, hey, so, you know, you've been doing this uh, about a year and a half now. Yes, sir. Right? In command. Um, you know, what? what's the biggest thing that you've learned um, being the commander first of 509th? As far as like large scale yeah, combat operations, yeah, yeah. tactics. Uh, yeah. So, sir, I think the, the biggest thing that I see is um, plans need to be thorough, but they need to be simple. They need to be easily understood. You know, we always say two levels down, um, but they have to have the ability to integrate all of the different uh, warfighting functions at a decisive point. Uh, if you actually look on paper, a brigade combat team that comes down here has far more combat power than my uh, small battalion has. If they are able to actually integrate uh, indirect fires, direct fires uh, with uh, aviation, CAS, EW, the entire spectrum, if they can integrate that at a decisive point, we can't survive. Uh, what we see is... Which, like, everything that we just said sounds really easy. It's actually really hard. Not, no, it's, not, it, it's super hard, sir. Because uh, remember, simple's not easy. Yeah. But if you make it overly complex, you, uh, I believe, uh, lessen the chance of you actually being able to integrate all those different assets. Yeah. Hey, so you brought this up. Tell us about the, the size, uh, composition, disposition, strength of uh, 1st Battalion, 509. Yes, sir. So we're based on a U.S. Airborne Infantry Battalion. We are in the Army, the U.S. Army. And I know there's some people that have asked me in the box if that's true. We well, are hold on, man. All I mean, U.S. paratroopers. What's with the cosplay like, going on here? Sir, this is a mission that I've been given by the United States Army. Right. And they've directed us to wear different uniforms so that people understand that we are their enemy. So you're not like, this isn't LARPing. You're not like live-action role-playing. No, sir. This is a okay. mission given mission. to us by the Army. All yes, right. Sir. Airborne Infantry Battalion with the yes, mission sir. of providing opposing forces here at the Joint Readiness Training Right, Center. sir. And there are some differences. My rifle companies are uh, smaller than a standard U.S. rifle company. There's only about 105. And I do not have a Delta company. I have a dog troop. So I have a troop of 19 Deltas who are built similar to a mounted troop in a light uh, BCT. Okay. And then my FSC is smaller, uh, so I don't have as robust of a sustainment package um, as you would typically see in a, in a battalion. And then I do have additional um, capabilities that are given to us. Most of them are InfoWars cells, so our EW, our UAS capability, uh, air defense artillery, engineer, those are all organic to the battalion. And then you're augmented with attack aviation support from 1-5 aviation. Yes, sir. Uh, limited numbers. Yes, sir. The Outcast, the Tiger Striped uh, LUHs. Okay. Um, and, and then I get augmented by Forcecom to plus us up because we'll fight up to the BTG minus level. So Brigade Tactical Group. Brigade Tactical Group. Yes, okay. sir. So a an organization where uh, the Tariq Brigade Tactical Group has over 7,000 people in it. And at full strength, my battalion is 650. And then with augmentation, what's the highest number you get to? So the highest number we'll get to augmentation-wise is about 1,000. Okay. And because I get two rifle companies, uh, a artillery battery, either 777s, but typically 119ers, a battery's worth of 119ers. They replicate D30s or D20s in the event we get 777s. And then I get an additional engineer, horizontal engineer platoon. Okay. So 1,000. 1,000 against roughly 5,000. Yes, sir. Okay. Sometimes more. Sometimes more. All right, especially when they come with tanks and then 
getting ready to have some strikers come through here. Yes, sir. Okay. And a Canadian battalion, I believe. Yeah, that's going to be a ton of fun. Um, so, you know, where where do where do you think uh, you know this this idea of you know five thousand to one thousand? Uh, the elephant in the room is the rekey. Yes, sir. Let's talk about the rekey. Rekeys. Yes, sir. So rekeys are centrally. Yeah, what, what about that? They, what about the rekey? So rekeys <laughs> are centrally managed. I'm giving a CBI, which is, I believe, Combat Battle Instructions, which basically lays out the number of personnel and vehicles by type that I have at a certain point in each rotation. It is managed centrally at my battalion S3 level. So the three is the one that's really running the numbers. And we take, this is the number of people we can put in the box. This is the number we're replicating. And then we assign companies. And then, uh, you know, each company will replicate a certain number of people. We like to be as close as what we call one for one, which is one, one paratrooper in the box representing one soldier on the battlefield. But it usually doesn't, we're usually not able to do that uh, just based on the larger force that we have to replicate to uh, give the uh, RTU the worst fight ever. And the same thing with vehicles. So we get, get a certain number of BMPs, a certain number of tanks, each uh, phase of the rotation. And I can, we typically go one for one on tanks. Uh, so if you see a T90, it typically does not have a rekey, uh, but BMPs will usually have two or three rekeys to be able to replicate the fight. Yeah, and they come back when they yes, get rekey. Yeah, so no, uh, we do not rekey on the spot. So if you die, you have to go back to a rekey point that is determined by the battalion. Uh, the vehicles are usually two or three kilometers back, but certainly out of uh, sight or an and sound of the rotational unit, they'll rekey there and they'll come back forward. So it's like the respawn point if you're a Halo 2 fan from yes, back sir. in the day. That's okay. almost exactly what it is. Yeah. All right. And... Um, so tell me a little bit about the battalion and the history of the battalion. So, sir, um, as you know, we just, uh, the 509th, uh, I know you're a former commander of the 3rd Battalion up in Alaska. That's right. Uh, we are the, uh, the 509th was the first U.S. paratrooper unit to execute a combat jump. And on November 8th, a couple of weeks ago, we did, you know, we brought down some members of 3rd Battalion, including the battalion commander and some of his key leaders. And we executed an anniversary jump of the 80th anniversary of our uh, airborne operation into North Africa as part of Operation Torch, which was the first combat parachute assault in the U.S. Army's history. All right. So why do people think you cheat? Uh, I think people don't get or, you know, when they're at home station, they understand what is going to happen for what the enemy is going to do. And they typically win. And then they come here and they run to us and they don't always win. So it's much easier to just say Geronimo cheated versus stepping back and going, oh, well, I left this avenue of approach open. That's how he got behind me. Yeah. Yeah. Unpacking it. Yes, sir. Right. Okay. Um, so, but you've had some really good fights. I mean, in my short time here, you've had some really good fights. You, you know, we, we kind of talked about this, um, you know, the modern era of Geronimo, less noise, more violence. Yes, sir. Right. What's that mean to you? So what that means to me, sir, is I think for a long time, uh, the battalion was very effective at essentially a death by a thousand cuts sort of mentality. Small teams doing 
we kind of refer to them as like goon operations, where they would just drive into <laughs> your assembly By the way, area. that's non-doctrinal. It's 100% non-doctrinal. Okay. I understand that, but um, <laughs> where you would see a lot more use of civilian vehicles to try and blend in, and then all of a sudden, you know, there'd be 12 Geronimo that got into your assembly area and kind of death blossomed up. We've pulled back on that significantly, both on the CBI side, where I usually have uh, 18 SPF uh, soldiers and then 15 of the kind of third-party terrorist groups, where if you would look back at CBI's two or three years ago, it was double or triple of that. So yeah. I just, I'm not allowed to have that type of force in the box anymore. We're transitioning more to combined arms maneuver by a conventional force that is gonna integrate uh, indirect fire with track vehicles, with AT systems, with you know the mass attack that we're yeah. working with right now with the the aviation with the Heinz, so that you would what the RTU is going to be seeing is a much more conventional fight than and less of this uh, kind of run around in, in the rear areas and kill things. There's still a place for that at yeah. times, but it's much more. We view and you and I have had this conversation, sir. Like an SPF team is not just going to randomly go merc a again not a doctrinal term, not but they're doctrinal. not going to go. They're not going to attack a company in the defense. Yeah. They are going to find a high payoff target list directed by me to strike that. And ideally, what they won't strike it themselves, there will be terminal guidance for a hind sortie. Or even better, what we started to do is we've made, uh, we've taken rifle platoons and send them into the rear area of the brigade on raids, and they walk in. Yeah, like five, six K, right? Yes, sir. They'll walk in, hit the target, and they'll come out. So that, you know, the SPF primarily conducting strategic reconnaissance. Yes, sir. Uh, for you guys, and then some limited strike, but really only if the juice is worth the squeeze, right? Absolutely, sir. Um, and what about the ABF? So the APF is much more of... APF, sorry. Again, they're, they're doing more of the reconnaissance role, sir. They will uh, targets of opportunity potentially on CPs if there's one that is misplaced or undefended, but that's very uh, rare that that happens. So... Um, you know, if, as you watch, and this is a question I get asked all the time, you know, open source as you watch stuff with Ukraine, like what stands out of kind of the modern conflicts as, as you think about fighting Geronimo? I, I think one of the things that really jumps off the page um, is, is the, the amount of indirect fire that's being used, both from, I think we saw initially more of the pre precision strikes, um, but it seems that both sides are starting to transition into mostly an artillery fight. So the BTG, the Brigade Tactical Group, gets reinforced with division fires. Yes, sir. Right? And so what kind of fires do you get from the division? So from the, the, the batty division. The, yeah, the division tactical groups. Are, yeah. Uh, which you're the commander of. Um, the, so the, All hail the division tactical yes, group sir. commander. <laughs> so uh, mostly we get two S-19s, uh, which are unfortunately constructive. Um, but they can be struck by uh, U.S. or the BCT assets as well as the higher blue division within the constructive fight. Uh, and then we've get, we get two really different types of rockets, uh, the, the Prima uh, and then uh, Brimstone. And then Brimstone is really, I only get Brimstone to shoot fast cam. And the advantage that, fast cam, that a Brimstone fast cam is it builds, you know, in 20 or 30 seconds, vice the amount of time it takes a cannon-delivered fast cam. Fast cam, I feel. 
but we then we get the the Prima is the uh, the destructive fires is fifty rockets. Uh, I believe they're one hundred twenty two millimeters. Again, constructive. But I do have a mock up that we just got built last rotation of the Prima, so it will now be able to be struck by uh, U.S. SOF, U.S. CAS. It'll be live in the box. Attack aviation. Attack aviation, yes, sir. Right on. And so we got we got new things coming too, like more ADA capability as yes, well, sir. right? So what's that look like in the future? So right now with uh, what we've done is, so my ADA section is is not manned right now. I have one air defender when I'm supposed to have 14. Um, and I don't expect that to be manned. So what we've done is I task a rifle platoon every rotation to become the air defense platoon. And essentially, we have our technical vehicles. They're Dodge Rams with 50 cal mounts in the back. They're replicating If you have the means, CSU I highly 23. recommend picking one up. Yes, sir. If you're able to find one, they're great vehicles. Uh, and then we're loading... That's not a public endorsement of Dodge vehicles. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, but then we're loading those vehicles up with uh, shoulder-fired, uh, which we now have the replication capability to actually be able to... Um, shoot the miles from a system on the ground to a system that's on the aircraft. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, the OCT in the loop yes, to sir. help adjudicate that. And uh, no, I mean, in this last rotation, you know, pr I mean, a pretty robust uh, environment for our aviators to be, to be fighting. Yes, um, and then we, we got the opportunity. Um, H-64 got shot down. They landed it and the crew you need for an evening. Yes, sir. Um, did you guys know that they had gone down? Um, we, yes, we did know uh, where they were. It was kind of hard for us to get to them. Yeah. Um, just where we were able to take the shot and where the H-64 landed. But I think we followed them for a little bit, but then they got away. Yeah. Which, had, is, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But they had a long and interesting night. <laughs> they did, sir. And I don't believe it was very warm that night. It either. was not very warm <laughs> so, that night. <laughs> that, that's good training for them. But what we do have, um, I alluded to it before, it's the ground threat emitter, the yeah. GTE. So it's a system that goes on the aircraft, and then we have a system on the ground, and it can replicate many different types, types of yeah, air systems. defense signatures. Yeah. And we're getting more of those. And then in either January or February, we're going to get to the 2S6 mic conversion kits that will go on our BMPs, and that'll have the ground threat emitter. And it actually, I was, I got the opportunity to go see it at Redstone a couple months ago. It looks like a 2S6 mic. That's awesome. It doesn't look like a Dodge Ram that we're causing, calling something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, always evolving here for sure. Um, so, you know, as, as you fight the battalion, you know, t talk us through um, how you build out your picture of the enemy. And I got to ask, I mean... Just so everybody on camera, you know, out there watching in the internet world, do you get the blue plan from me? From Not from you, <laughs> sir. No. I have gotten the blue plan from Blue Force before. How? Uh, we, just, we kill everybody in a vehicle and there's a printed copy on the front seat. That's happened more than once. Okay. Um, and then, you know. For graphic boards, like we're... I've seen that we've seen this is television it, show quite a bit, sir. So when you show me a set of graphics, I can kind of figure out what what is going on. What's going on? Um, is it true that you that all the pizza, people that work at Pizza Hut are on Geronimo's payroll? Not on our payroll, sir. So no. the, the the North Fork 
food trucks, Pizza Hut, those people are not on your payroll. They're They're not not like card-carrying members of Geronimo. They are not. Um, We also don't spend much time in the the shop ad on North Fort. We're not sneaking around while, you know, the RTU is in the Ruba. It's not. We don't do that. There's no truth that you send a van up with four soldiers to Fort Drum before 10th Mountain comes down here? That is not true. Not true. I had not thought of doing that, (laughs) and I wonder if we could. I won't pay for the TDY. Okay, fair enough. Okay. All right, so yeah, how do you you figure out what uh, the rotational unit, you know, friendly brigades are are trying to do? So, sir, a lot of... I think in, in a way we have an advantage because our Intel Well, I think a lot of people would agree that you have an advantage. Well, I mean, when it comes like, from like, What Intel are the advantages collect- that people think you have? Let's like, what, well, are, the, I, what are the myths of Geronimo? So they, they, I mean, I don't know if this is a myth. I mean, besides, Geronimo, uh, number but, one myth is that you cheat. What's the second myth? Um, the second myth is that you have beards, which yes. clearly you don't have we beards We do not anymore. have beards. Or you just shaved before no, we coming do, in we, I, I mean, I did shave this morning, sir, but no, we do <laughs> not have beards. Um, and that is no longer a thing. Um, I think the next myth is that the OCs it, it, give us information. Yeah. Because you don't. No, we don't. Now, you know, 509th is part of Operations yes, Group. Yeah. Uh, separated by about two kilometers on the street. Right. <laughs> But when it comes to rotation, that yeah, you know, we're there is no point where you call me and say this is what he's doing. I want you to do X, Y, and Z. Typically, the conversation I have is you ask me what I think he's going to do, and then what do I plan to do about that. So the getting back to um, so I think one of the advantages we do have, and I, I got it, terrain. We fight the a very similar scenario on this on the same terrain multiple times a year definitely an advantage that we have because they're however but you know i mean i can think back the so the four rotations so far that i've been the commander of operations group all four of the scenarios have been enough different right that you can't like i can't go in saying i know this is what he's going to do because that's what the last brigade did different different organization different equipment slightly different look and then the next two are going to be wildly different yeah, absolutely, sir. Right. Um, I mean, striker brigade, and then um, and then doing one with uh, live fires up front would we'll just have a different tempo to it. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, and I think so. What we're constantly doing reconnaissance. So my paratroopers hate sitting around in the box. I think everybody does. So I force them. They're constantly doing patrols, local patrols. Go east and you know make contact. Doesn't I don't need you to get into a fight. I need you to go tell me what he's doing. And my goal really is to identify the locations of all the rifle companies. If I can take all the rifle companies or most of the rifle companies in a brigade and put them on a map, I think we have a pretty good opportunity to determine which course of action we think he's going to do. And there's some key locations. Uh, you know, everybody knows Low Water Five. And <laughs> The wood chipper, man. Yes, sir. <laughs> and now there's low water five. I think we're going to call it five alpha, the bypass. I don't want to say that, but yeah. there's now a bypass down yeah. there. So there's two ways across the the low water there. Yes, sir. Right. So, but if we focus collection well, in I mean, those that's areas. That's not true. There's actually a lot of ways across if you're willing to dismount and walk. Yes, there's also other yeah. mounted ways across it as well. Yeah. I'm not going to share those, though. But I think if you can... why well, you got a reputation, Fitzgerald. 
keep going. So, sir, I think what I think we need to, you know, we take a look at those critical areas and see how much effort he's putting into either holding on to that terrain or attempting to exploit the terrain. And I think that that leads us to answer uh, decision points uh, like red. I'm sorry, not I'm red. Blue decision points on what his course of action is going to be, and. You know, he's either going to use both mobility corridors, north and south of the impact area, or he's going to use one. Yeah. And we can usually answer those questions relatively quickly if we know the locations of his uh, rifle companies. The, um, you know, when I was out at the National Training Center, uh, Black Horse 6, Colonel Joe Clark, you know, he's retired. But you know, I very, very distinctly remember him saying that, you know, number one, that PR number one for him was, where's the enemy? <laughs> Like as simple right. as that. Yes. And number two, that he would always prioritize reconnaissance over everything else. So yes, if he lost, um, you know, reconnaissance troop, he'd reconstitute it with a line company, uh, and he would always prioritize reconnaissance. Um, how you know? Obviously, local patrols. How else do you collect on RTU? So we collect with the local patrols, and then I do have a series of UASs that are able to collect on, on him as well. Uh, and then really, so I, I have a uh, commercial off the shelf. It's called Outlaw. It is a UAS similar to a Shadow. And that thing has a weather waiver that you can fly it in 40 uh, mile an hour gusts, right? No, sir. This thing no, is... Is it, it, is it just as constrained as a Shadow? Oh, it's worse than a Shadow. <laughs> okay. I need okay. to take off. We need over 5,000 feet ceilings. Okay. I think Shadow can take off a little bit. If you're in the micro, you should be paying attention to that. So, <laughs> uh, Outlaw, very useful um, when it comes to finding the BSA, when it comes to finding, typically finding artillery, uh, chrono, uh, not chronos, but the, the mech teams that come through, yeah. we can find those. But a dismounted uh, rifle company, so, we're not finding. So, why, you know, and, and you use, you also use, um, the Lakotas either in yes, hind or hip right. for armed, armed reconnaissance or unarmed reconnaissance. Why is it so easy for you to find, you, you know, many units, not all, not most. We, right. we've both seen a couple of units do a phenomenal job at dispersion and camouflage, but why, you know, when it's easy, why is it easy? Uh, because it's, they're not taking into account that somebody is watching. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think black horse actually, I've read some of their slides. They talk about it. Hey, it's persistent uh, ISRs over the RTU. That's what yeah. they. That's what their goal yeah, is. That's what our goal is. Yes. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, and and this one stuck out when I, when I came through here to fight as a brigade commander. You know, I, I put out the edict pretty early. That's those are strong words, edict, uh, or a strong word. But you know, the roads are lava, right? And it's not the IED threat. It's just it's so predictable. Like once you tie yourself to roads, it's so predictable. Um, but it is like really, really predictable. I mean, when you see, when you look at the imagery from your small UAS or large UAS, anything within 200 meters of a road is pretty easy to find. Yes, sir. It is. And it's, um, you know, what we'll do is the UAS may not find the rifle companies, but it may find an FSC. And we know what an FSC looks like, so we'll follow an FSC to a point, and then we can start actually, you know, bringing the soda straw down to look and go, oh, there's there's 12 dismounts, there's 20 dismounts. 
okay, we're going to make the assumption that's a company. We found something there. Yeah. You're, where, you're tracing it from the LRP. Yeah, to the that's, a, that's exactly trains. what we're doing, sir. Because yeah. if I'm just, if we're just burning holes in the sky, looking down through the Louisiana uh, forest, it's very difficult for us to find it. Yeah. I mean, and that is a giant distinction between here and the National Train Center. Like, you can actually hide stuff here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even, even some of the electronic warfare equipment is more challenged in this environment just because of right. the vegetation. The right, yes, the, the vegetation here has a huge impact on our EW capabilities. Just with the, the, the number and amount of trees and the density, a lot of uh, that stuff just kind of Unless you're back. sitting in the middle of drama drops. If, you, <laughs> if you're on the DZ, like shame on you. So Yeah. And in fact, they actually, you know, shout out to the last rotation because I only knew where half of the mech team was. We could never found the other half until we started the attack and they moved the entire team yeah. into the drop zone. We're like, well, there it is. At that point, we're kind of like, well, Too late. we can't do anything about yeah. it. But Yeah, and I mean, I thought they did a really good job of essentially playing the mm. shell game with the, you know, they never consolidated the mech tank team in the same place. Right. You know, they kept them in, you know, essentially in platoon assembly areas, mutually supporting, but separated. I mean, it was, they were pretty hard to find. They were. So. And then the rotation before, I mean, the command posts, you know, I actually had to get 30 as the cog. Um, yes, to find them, which right. I thought was awesome, right? I mean, you know, I got I got within 50 meters of a battalion command post before I realized that that's what it was. Yes, sir. Uh, and I'd had to walk about 500 meters to get there. Uh, they'd come in off-road. Um, so getting off the roads, right? And staying yeah, away uh, from the roads. Absolutely, sir. Uh, I mean, and, and, you know, and the reality is, like, you can't get everything off the roads. Right. Right? You, I mean, you at need, some point. And that's the other thing is, like, at some point you need a ground line of communication. Yeah. So I think sometimes um, another thing that we see the uh, BCT sometimes struggle with is a plan to fight the enemy to, on, and beyond the objectives. Right. Where they'll hand wave, and we catch ourselves doing it sometimes as well, is, well, I'm going to start here on the drop zone. I'm going to attack Sagacite tomorrow morning. Well, what What is going on yeah. in here? There's a lot of life between uh, yes, Geronimo sir. drop zone yes, and the Shukar Gordon. <laughs> And at some point, you're going to need a, a road open and to that, bring Yeah, and I mean, so, you know, the two avenues of approach. And, and I mean, it's the same whether you're going east to west or west to east, right? You've got the artillery at Youngstown Road, avenue of approach, two mobility corridors, and then, you know, southern avenue approach that really necks down to, to really one and a half mobility corridors yes, before it opens back up into to more mobility corridors. Um, you know, the one in the north, you know, uh, Papa Six calls the sketch zone. Um, you go from, if you go from the crow's foot, uh, the two towns there, are, you know, goes by many names, mm -hmm. um, to to really just west of, um, uh, you know, there, there's about a four or five kilometer stretch. It's just, it's just brutal. Yes, um, if you don't have a plan to suppress, obscure, um, to get through it. Uh, so this idea of, of you know, you got to plan to fight to the objective, you got to fight on the objective, right? Establish a decisive point, mass combat power and effects at that decisive point, and then beyond. Talk about beyond. So beyond, sir, I think um, what you have to take into consideration is what if you're successful? <laughs> right. Um, and there have been times where units have been very successful against us or Right, okay. We, we hey, just myth changed. No, myth number four, nobody wins at JRTC. 
Yeah, that, I mean, of course it's a myth. So, like, we've right. been pushed off of terrain. It, it happens every rotation. All right, so you... you I'm not you, happy about you it. You lose. Occasionally you lose. Yeah, occasionally, yes. Occasionally sir. you lose. And what do you do when you lose? Uh, we regroup and we do something else. See, you counterattack, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Typically yeah. we counterattack. Yeah. So if you, if you push us off an objective, we are going to counterattack. It may not be immediately following. Um, just, I mean, if you need to consider, like, if I'm going to counterattack immediately following, it's probably going to be disjointed. It's not going to have as much combat power. Or I can wait six hours and, you know, club you with a mech tank team. Yeah. Which is kind of our preferred method, but not always. We sometimes see an opportunity to do a quick uh, counterattack to, to regain terrain. Yeah. So this idea of, you know, beyond the objective, rapid consolidation, reorganization, yes, and having a plan. Right. right. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're on the offense, you seize an objective, rapidly transition into a hasty defense until you can build up more combat power yes, to resume the offense. Um, where, where have you, you know, what have people done that's been effective in that? And then where, where have you seen, how do you identify opportunities that, that units are, are ripe to be uh, counterattacked? Uh, so, sir, a lot of it has to do with, um, is there still the, what, we, what we've seen when it comes to any sort of mounted asset? Are they bringing mounted assets up and tying them in with their dismounted? Because there is typically, there's a great opportunity where, say they seize a town and we fall back, and then they just kind of move a convoy of vehicles through the town into essentially what is now our security zone, yeah. and we'll rapidly counterattack on that. We'll cut off that mounted force and destroy it in, in detail and then move back towards the infantry. So that's really what we're looking for is, was it an infantry-only fight or was it an infantry fight tied with indirect fire, tied with mounted assets? And a lot of times they're going to have to be fighting through the ground lock that I talked about is going to have obstacles. So are they rapidly transitioning to reduce obstacles? Yeah. That is one of the key things. If they're not transitioning to reduce obstacles, that tells me they probably don't have a plan. And that means, yeah, that infantry was successful, but it's on an island. Yeah. And now we can yeah, pull get, forces somewhere else. Can't get Kazvacked, can't get resupplied, right. can't get replacements forward. Um, yes, sir. Isolate. Right. And then another key indicator is what is, you know, if we're talking about a, an urban area, what, are, <laughs> what is the infantry doing in the urban area? Are they just wandering around, like high-fiving each other because they took the, the urban, the population center, or are they rapidly transitioning into a defense? Uh, typically outside of the city, on avenues of approach where you can get the maximum effective use of your AT systems. Yeah. Because and if it's a close AT fight, you're, you're not going to win that. And we've, and we've seen the last couple rotations, like it's been a mixed bag. Yes, sir. Right? Companies, but some companies, battalions doing that very, very well, rapidly transitioning, getting... Reestablishing a security area for themselves, rapidly putting in obstacles, siting in yes, key weapon systems, and then others a little slow to do that, which gives you space and time. Right, which is dangerous. Yeah, it it can be uh, at times, sir. But. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Um, so, uh, you know, how else? Um, you know, what else have you seen from units that, that just gives you, like, a hard time? I mean, what makes you want to throw your helmet? I um, actually wrote some of these down. Uh, really, what, 
one of the one of the most difficult things we we struggle with is uh, dismounted anti tank teams that are aggressive and are well placed and can destroy our our armor forces. That's the stuff that I really want to throw you know throw my helmet over. Is you know, hey, we're gaining ground. Uh, we just lost three BMPs in like thirty seconds because we weren't able to clear out the infantry before we brought the tracks forward. Um, and then really tied in with any sort of an obstacle. Uh, and I think, and again, it's it's a mixed bag, which is a good thing because I think about a year ago when I was first in command, it wasn't a mixed bag. It was always, why is there a tank ditch here? This doesn't make any sense. Or, oh, hey, there's an 11 row, but there's nobody overwatching it. Now we're starting to see a lot better integration of direct and indirect fires and actually companies and battalions building out engagement areas where last rotation I was with a company on our main attack and we started we were being engaged and I realized that we are in his engagement area <laughs> so I called the company commander I'm like you got to back out of there man <laughs> like we're, we're in a bad spot we backed out we went yeah. another avenue approach no I mean, it was it was uh, you know watching that on the IS and and then kind of getting the report from you was was actually really good. I mean, that ultimately, I mean, that's your job is to help make the United States Army better, yes, sir. right? And kind of a textbook engagement of exactly what we want, right? So they had they had a security area established, uh, battalion scouts tied into OPs with indirect fire that they'd actually done a tech rehearsal, registered those fires, um, and then obstacles with uh, direct fire as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, good on you for getting out of the... Uh, the engagement area quickly. It, it, it was it was really weird. Like I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, this is this feels bad. Oh, this is not awesome. So I call I call Make my it stop. I call my Make pathfinder commander and I'm like, Evan, we gotta go. We gotta go somewhere else. Yeah. And it's good. Um, you know, what's the what's the biggest evolution uh that you've seen uh from Geronimo? I mean, from from uh you know, there's this dialectic right as rotational units get better, you know, at least my hypothesis is is Geronimo will get better. Yes, sir. Right. I mean, you know, one, as as we get better as an army, um, you know, I think your team's gonna, by necessity, have to raise its game. Which it's, you know, history has right. shown that. Don't worry about Geronimo; they're gonna figure it out. Yes, sir. No, and that's one of the things we have a conversation about because um, every once in a while you'll hear um, people talk about why do brigades keep losing at JRTC? It's like, well, they're getting better, but we're getting better. And I think what we are much better at now is combined arms maneuver, where we are actually, and you can see it in the IS if we're doing it correctly. And sometimes we don't get it right. Um, definitely biffed a few attacks since <laughs> I've been here. And it's, it's irritating for me, but uh, just the integration of indirect fires on obstacles, you know, using dismounts to clear AT systems, bringing up tracks to clear the remainder of uh, the dismounts, and then breaching obstacles. Two, two or three rotations back, I can't remember, but uh, they had established a defense where we had to go into his main engagement area. But my lead company did all of that correctly and were able to breach and we were able to pass through. And that, I, I told that company commander how proud I was of him because it's like, that's where he wanted us to go. Like we did everything he wanted us to do and he still couldn't stop us because we integrated indirect fires. We shot a lot of indirect fires. You dismounted, you, you bounded, you used a uh, base of fire and a maneuver element, and then brought your tracks forward to kind of finish the job. Like you did everything right. And I think we, a year ago, we would not have been able to do that that effectively. 
So um, let me shift gears on you and we'll come, you know, we'll probably do a second podcast where we talk about some of the, the further myths about Geronimo out there. But but let's talk about let's talk about your soldiers a little bit. Um, so one of the things I think if you're an outsider, like I, you know, if you go to Disney World and Disneyland and you really kind of pay attention to what's happening there, you realize that like, you know, the the person that was guiding you in tickets 10 minutes before is now in some costume over here, you know, as part of the ride, right? Um, we put a lot of responsibility on very junior officers and NCOs and soldiers uh, in one fall night because you're, you're a very small battalion replicating a, a brigade tactical group. Yes, sir. Um, so talk a little bit about what you look for in, in paratroopers and in leaders in Geronimo. Really, for, for leaders and paratroopers, it's uh, like first and foremost, you need to be able to operate off of intent. Uh, because one thing that we offer, uh, especially young leaders, we're talking you know team leaders, squad leaders is, I mean, I'll look at a squad leader and say, you're going to go into the rear area and we're going to come get you in four days on our attack. Go with God. Here, <laughs> here is your HPTL. I want indirect on all of these. You can go. Uh, direct fire for this list. Go. So what I really need is is leaders that can go off of kind of a loose intent because it does change. Uh, and then they also have to be very flexible because there are times I'll get a call f from yourself, sir, or the senior mentor wants us to do something a little bit different. They have to be able to react quickly and then take the time that you have to do quick TLPs and rehearse. Now, your rehearsal, a lot of the time, especially if you're a PL in Geronimo, it's probably going to be with a map because you're probably holding a piece of terrain and I'm yelling at you to go 500 meters down the road because someone misplaced their CP and they need it destroyed. So just being able to uh, operate independently with intent and then being, uh, above all, be flexible. Because yeah. there are days where some of my guys will be SPF in the morning, I'll have to pull them out because we have to replicate a larger force. They're going to be a BMP driver that night. And then the next day you're back to being a, a paratrooper, you know, essentially in a foxhole. So can you handle all that? Yeah. I mean, I, and I think it's fitting that, um, you know, the, the op, the unit with the op formation is an airborne battalion, right? I yeah, mean, absolutely. I think it's by design. I mean, it's, you know, there's an expectation of paratroopers to be uh, incredibly resilient, to be incredibly flexible uh and you know the rule lgops you know little groups of paratroopers self-organizing um following intent being disciplined being masters of of their craft um and going to fight and uh you know you, so pretty awesome uh a week ago uh what uh 37 eibs in the yes, battalion out of uh about 60 that went out for it that's right um, pretty amazing um, growing a lot of Rangers and a lot of jump masters for the army down here as well. Uh, what other schools are you sending folks to? Uh, so I don't want to say I have an unlimited schools budget, but nobody said no to me yet. Yeah. So yeah. air assault, <laughs> the DTG commander yeah, the DTG. is a benevolent <laughs> DTG commander. He is very benevolent. Sir. <laughs> so air assault, uh, we, my command sergeant major has a relationship with, uh, the, uh, jungle school. Or yeah. the, the Lightning Academy, I'm sorry, out of 25th. So we're sending guys to jungle school. A couple are going out there to do air assault. Um, we work with uh, 101st air assault. We'll send people up there. And then anything 310, when 10th Mountain Light Fighter comes down here, yeah. they will usually give us a handful of slots. 
Yeah. And then of course, uh, you know, the focus for me is has been jump master school because we we're so short on jump masters. Uh, we're much better off now. Yeah, really healthy now. Yeah, we're, we're at a really good spot when it comes to jump masters. All right, but, how often do y'all jump? Uh, we have at least one scheduled per month, and we do one mass tack uh, battalion level operation a quarter. And how often do you jump into the box as you know the dreaded Tariqan? Most rotations. So we will not in January because we're going to be replicating just kind of a line BTG. Uh, we do have a jump scheduled in January. It's just not going to be linked to the yeah. scenario. Uh, but uh, I think the last five or six before that, we jumped in the rotation. It's usually R9, R10, so there may be some reconnaissance in the AO. Soft is definitely in the AO, uh, but we do uh, we try to do one a rotation. And that we've done the airfield seizure on R9, where I think somebody walked in and told the brigade commander, uh, I don't know if it was you or Colonel Saz, they're like, hey, you can't go to Toronto with DZ, you got to go to Barrie because... Geronimo just jumped on it. I think that would have been Colonel Sasson. I think that was with Colonel. That was either R8 or R9. Uh, there had been some indications and warnings that they were going to have to go into Barry, But uh, I always liked that kind of spin to it. It's like, oh, you thought you are going to Geronimo? Well, there's a battalion on it now. Go somewhere else. What's the... Uh so for the the guest OC or the guest uh, op four that come down here, what's what's some advice for them to get the most out of their time uh, coming down here? Well, the the biggest thing for them, sir, is we kind of it, it's sort of an agreement between me and those company commanders is um, number one they will all the rifle companies that come down they're going to do at least one company level attack separate from anything else the battalion's doing. So basically, I will give them a mission, a target. It's it's typically either a low water crossing or, or potentially a village. And be like, hey, commander, take your company, walk 4K, here are your assets, let me know what else you need, execute a company attack. So it's like a free rep for them. The biggest thing they can do is when they come down is view it, hey, this is, these are free reps for us. Yeah. Uh, and then like the last four or five we've gotten were, were sensational. Yeah. And, and it's been, um, and last month, I mean, uh, 505th came down here and they shot squad live fires. Yes, sir. At the very yeah. beginning, which I thought was really cool. Um, and, you know, I think this idea that, you know, you're going to come down, you're going to be here, you might as well get the most right. of it, right? TLPs at squad, platoon, company level, uh, focus on, you know, individual proficiency and, and small unit uh, collective yes, training. Sir. I mean, Phenomenal opportunity to come down here and get a fight. And that's ultimately, I think, the advantage that y'all have. Yeah, you get a fight every month. Yeah, exactly, sir. And I think it's a free rep. And I always tell them, like, hey, you know, when you're doing your RNS patrols, if you see an opportunity or what you think is an opportunity to seize a piece of terrain or destroy something important, go kill it. I'm like, just tell me when you're done killing it. So if I get a phone call, like, why did you kill the brigade <laughs> commander again? I can at least have a, you know, be forewarned before we had that conversation. But right. to but to that, uh, like, nobody's off limits in the box. Nobody. Including you. Including me. Have you ever gotten got? Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I have. It's Geronimo <laughs> Confessional. Yes. <laughs> I have gotten got in probably every way in the extra that you can be killed. <laughs> I got knife killed last year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you're going to leave, uh, you know, folks out there watching this uh, that are preparing uh, to come through and fight, uh, here in Arnland, what advice would you give them uh, six months out in their train up 
and fo focus at the, the company level? What advice would you give a company commander preparing to come down here? So for a company commander, like be able to do TLPs in a timely and efficient manner. Um, you're not gonna have the time that you had at the career course. It's just not possible. That's not the way everything is built here. That's not how combat's gonna be. I don't think combat will be that way. If it is, all the better. Yeah. Um, but be able to use all of your leaders to help you develop whatever your plan is going to be and then execute it uh, aggressively. But one thing I would say that we see a lot of companies struggle with is Kazovac and uh, sustainment while dismounted. How are you resupplying, especially in water? We're at a good time of year right now. It's, it's uh, almost December, but when it comes the last, April, the May. The last tactical kilometer of sustainment. Yes, sir. That's, I think companies struggle a lot with that. And then understand as a company commander, part of what you're doing is not just maneuvering your platoons. You're also figuring out how am I synchronized with the battalion plan so that you can then pull down assets that are at the, a higher level. For a company commander to get DS artillery is not gonna happen. But if he can you know, work with his battalion that battalion is going to get at least a couple of pre-planned targets that could support the company commander. Okay. And in the end, be aggressive. Be aggressive. If you sit back, we will find you. Yeah. No, and I, I think, you know, that's what I've seen. I mean, units that are willing to maximize periods of darkness, right? To get off the roads and walk at night. Um, you know, that's where I've seen you most befuddled is um, when you lose track of rifle companies. Yes, sir. Um, you know, in the dark. They get off the roads, they actually maneuver. And a, and a couple times where they've gotten on a flank or gotten behind you, it's caused problems for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that takes a lot of practice and a lot of discipline to do that well. And it takes a sustainment, right? Just like you right. described, and you know, the ability to get water actually into a canteen. So, okay. Hey, appreciate your time. And we will bring him back. This was a ton of fun. I really appreciate uh, yes, you spending some time. We, we got through myths, I think, one through five. Uh, we'll come back and do six through 10. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Thanks for what you do. All Appreciate right. it. Thanks, sir. All the way. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash linktr dot ee forward slash jrtc. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L.
Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.